Welcome to the Nativist Podcast, where we tap into our instinct and natural power to live intuitively. The ultimate goal is to leave the world healthier and more beautiful than we found it. It all starts on the individual level by cultivating our mind-body connection. Whether you're on a healing journey or just want to look and feel your best, I hope by the end you feel a little happier, a little more inspired, and a little more invested in yourself and the world. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Thank you. Hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Nativist Podcast. So happy you are here. I mean it when I say that. I hope you know that. I hope you feel that. Really, I cannot believe that you are spending time out of your day when there's so much content out there to consume. You're spending it with me. That means a lot to me. I put a lot of heart and thought into what I do and what I put out into the world. And so for you to receive that, no matter what you feel about it as you receive it, it still it means so much to me. So thank you. This week's, today's topic is about criticism, specifically self-criticism. And this kind of piggybacks off of my previous episode where I share my journey with my eating disorder. And if you haven't listened to that, I think it's a good episode. Hopefully, I when I say that, hopefully, I, I shared it with a lot of honesty and vulnerability. So hopefully you derive some value from that. Whether or not you do, that's something else. But that's something that speaks to this, to this episode. And I mean, just there's constantly stuff out there to provoke thought on this topic, right? Especially if you're a female. This goes for males too. This isn't just a female thing. And this is, I mean, no matter how you identify, but this is a human thing. Self-criticism is a human thing for sure because this doesn't just relate to your body. It's really going to be body-centric this episode, but this extends to anything, whether you're criticizing your job performance, your lifestyle, relationship, how you relate to others, how you show up in relationships, how you do anything, how you just live your life, this applies to that. But just, yeah, just self-criticism in general and how especially, ooh, that's interesting to think about if it applies to a specific culture, because I was going to say, especially in the American culture, but I mean, that's not just specific to America. I think it's, like I said, a human thing. But it's interesting, I think, because of our culture and our individualism and the individualistic culture really spotlights and pressures you to perform individually and what you're doing. And if you're not living up to a standard, and if you're not a millionaire, if you're not self-actualizing if you're not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps that's more seen as an individual lack right would you agree with me love to hear your thoughts on that so anyways that's that's what we're working with today that's what we're going to look at is just why we criticize ourselves what value comes from criticizing ourselves and entertaining the thought flirting with the thought of what if we didn't what if we didn't? What if we dared to accept ourselves? Would that mean that all of a sudden we'd become complacent? Not to spoil the ending of this, but I mean, think about think about what that how that sits shows up in your body. 
what thoughts come to your mind when you think about not criticizing yourself? Because that's one of the fears that bubbles up with me is that, oh my gosh, I'm going to become static and complacent and stuck because that's what drives me. That's what propels me forward. That's what fuels my success. That's what fuels my accomplishments is that self-criticism, that push to be better, to be better, to be better. Are those mutually exclusive? Can you have both? What if you dare to accept yourself? Can you still succeed and be a high performer? And even if you're not going for high performance, can you still accomplish things? Can you still be a valuable, contributing, functioning human? Think about that. Think about think about what your initial thoughts are with that. Okay, so what we're going to start with is think about any baby that you've seen, especially if you're a parent. Think about the day your baby was born, whether you're an adoptive parent, whether you're a birth parent, whatever. Think about that. Just babies in general, usually we're just showering them with love and compliments and seeing all the good and seeing how wonderful they are. I know there are some funky looking babies. (laughs) We love them too. Sometimes even more, but just think about it. Typically when you see a baby, you you just think about how beautiful they are and you're not looking at, oh, they need to be this or they need to have more of this or whatever. I mean, typically, especially you as a baby, most likely you just were showered. Hopefully you were showered with that love and affection. And then something happens in between when you were a baby and now, right? As far as how others see you and your body how you see you and your body. What if, just fast forwarding to today, what if you showed up to a lunch with your friends and you were just like, I look good. I feel so fine today. I am a knockout. I just, I feel so good. I look so good. What would happen? What do you think your, how do you think your friends would react? How do you think you would feel if you said that? I mean, I guess if you're saying that, let's say that, let's say that you genuinely believe that. I guess that's irrelevant right now. Well, all over the place right here. But if you showed up to lunch with your friends and you said, I look good today. I feel so good looking today. I feel so handsome today. I feel so beautiful today. What if you said that? How common is that? Does that feel a little weird? Does that feel a little awkward? Does that feel like you thought you would, you think you would come across as arrogant or self-absorbed? Like if a friend showed up to lunch saying that, what would your reaction be to that? Be honest with yourself. This isn't a time to judge. This is a time to just level with ourselves. Just it is what it is. Okay. So what if your friend or you showed up to lunch saying, oh, I look so fat today. I feel so fat today. I feel so ugh. I feel so sluggish. I just, and I think this can be more of a female thing, but just male or female, where you just show up. Oh, I look just wrecked today. I feel so wrecked today. That's more common, right? Would you agree with me on that? That's more common. Think about that. It's like we have more cultural permission to criticize ourselves than we do to own our light to like what we see, to like how we feel, to like what we look like. 
It's more readily received if we show up criticizing ourselves. Think about any time that you see a social media post where someone, even if they're just taking a selfie, and you can tell that they're feeling themselves. Is your initial reaction just a little, uh, like, okay, somebody's into themselves? Again, be honest with yourselves. A lot of this is cultural conditioning, so this isn't a character judgment. Just think about it, though. I know I do. Like, there have been times where I've been like, okay, somebody's really feeling themselves. And then I have to check myself and be like, well, freaking good for them. Isn't that how it should be. And there is a spectrum, I think, you know, where sure, it can be a little problematic if that's all they're doing. And I think that just speaks to insecurity. Actually, that's just reflecting insecurity if they're just constantly, you know, sometimes I think people overcompensate like, oh, I'm so beautiful. I look so good, so good. And you can just sense just the sheer volume of that just shows that it's actually insecurity and they're trying to overcompensate for that and project a different image. So that notwithstanding, really though, usually if you see somebody that's really feeling themselves, there's just that that moment, that thought where you're like, okay, okay, like pump the brakes on that, okay? Think about that. And it it can be hard. And in my, ooh, in my last episode too, you guys should listen to that too if I were to make a request with Marin and we talk about body neutrality and how positive body image is different from positive body positivity. And so we really delineate between those two and how body neutrality might be a good goal if loving your body seems too inaccessible and too out of reach and how just neutrality just means that what you look like is just information. It doesn't need to be emotionally charged It's just what you look like. It's just information. And we'll get into in this episode about being overweight and if that's good or bad and if that could possibly be okay. So getting ahead of myself. But we we so often criticize what we look like. We so often criticize how we are compared to others and what the shifting beauty ideal is at the moment and this just comes on the hills. Yesterday, I posted about this New York Post, New York, I think it is New York Post article about how, how heroin chic is back in. And it showed this picture of Khloe Kardashian and Kim Kardashian and Kate. Oh, what is her name? Um, The really famous supermodel from the 90s. I'm totally Kate Moss, Kate Moss and broke my heart. Because like I said, gosh, that's what nearly killed me. That mindset of just chasing that impossible. Not for for some people, that's naturally their body type where they're very thin. That's not my body type. And so I literally very nearly killed myself trying to achieve that. And it's just not my body type. And it just, oh my gosh. And it's so funny because I've said this before, how... Back in the 90s, we were literally working our asses off, literally trying to lose our bums because heroin chic was in. And that's, I mean, problematic, just the phrasing of that, but just that very waifish light body type that was in in the 90s. And so you have all these fitness videos and workouts about and diets and all of this showing you how to lose your booty because booty wasn't in. 
And then fast forward a few years and all of a sudden booty is in and people are going under the knife to get butt implants and you have all these glute workouts that are suddenly all the rage. And so great time for those people who have a natural bubble butt, natural booty, not so great for the people who don't. And you see how it's just constantly shifting and fluctuating and it's just so impossible for a lot of people because it's ever changing and even simultaneously like it can be one and then the other or you know you have to have a very thin waist but a big booty and it's just impossible to satisfy those standards all the time and for everybody beauty is in the eye of the of the beholder and so if you're trying to achieve all of that and satisfy all of that you're going to run yourself into the ground it's just not going to be done and so it's just that's why it's so important to just accept how you are. This doesn't mean that you just give it all up and don't even try. I mean, health is so much different than aesthetic. But, I mean, these trends that really just consume us and decide how we view people and how we view ourselves and how we view attractiveness, that's got to go. That's not okay. And I love Jamila Jamil's response to that she had such a good one and if you haven't read it go back and read it but I just it's it's such it's such a problem and I actually had a friend who had reached out and we were talking about it and the Kardashians and I truly believe that they're victims of this too because they're not immune to the toxic culture we live in right like I said, with its elusive and impossible and fluctuating beauty ideals, being in the spotlight, they're scrutinized and criticized. Look at Kylie's transformation. Look at Chloe's. They look like completely different people than when they became into the spotlight. And they'll openly say how brutal it's been. And you can see it. You can see some of the comments. It's just gut-wrenching. And yes, they also profit financially from the fame, but it's debatable if that's worth it. And yes, you could say they chose it, but how much of that choice was really theirs, being so young when they started, especially Kylie? And who's to say what other contributing factors led to their decision, you know, if they felt pressured to, and or if they felt attracted to fame, if they felt attracted to any element of that opportunity? Who knows? And diving even deeper into that, what factors created the environment where they were actually drawn to saying yes, drawn to that, to doing that show, drawn to the fame? What set the stage for that to where they would think that sounded like a good idea? You know, what nature versus nurture factors, so many different factors, societal factors, social factors, all, financial factors, all of that. Think about all of that that can create that environment where you would want to say yes, where that sounds like a good idea. I mean, the water we're swimming in society and you might not even be aware of it often we're not aware of it we're all products of our environment they are too we're all affected by our environment especially being female in the society male too but especially females they didn't escape it and we're not escaping it so that's why it's so important to push back on trends like that and be a radical start your own individual revolution where you're like no i'm not going to buy into that because society perpetuates what we buy into. If we don't buy into it, it dies from lack of oxygen. The more oxygen we give it, the more it lives. 
and the more it thrives. And so I think it's just really important to just first be aware. Awareness is the first step, right? And so let's talk more about your relationship to your body. A lot of times we're not even, well, I know we don't have any say over what society we're born into. The older we get, the more, like I said, we are society. So then we can affect society by what we accept, what we reject, what we pursue, what we click on, what articles we read, what we give attention to. We can contribute to it and perpetuate it that way. But when we're born, we don't have any say what we're born into. You didn't get to say yes or no to self-criticism, being a part of your environment. And so it's not really like you initially chose not to love your body, right? That decision almost was made for you. Not to say that at some point you didn't sign on to that. You have agency. So there is a distinction there. But when you were born, you're not born into the water that you're born into. Like if you're a fish, you're not born into the environment. You have a say later on, but you're still going to be affected by it. So what I'm saying is this applies to how we relate to our bodies. And this applies to how we view our bodies and how we trust our bodies. I really want to do an episode on trust and trusting yourself. And I think I've talked about that previously. Think about that. Think about how much you trust your body. Do you trust your body less than you trust what you've been taught culturally about your body? I'm going to ask that again. Do you trust your body less? What feels good? What looks good? What's healthy? What's not? Do you trust that less than what you've been taught culturally about your body? So think about that. Think about any time you've overridden something like comfort or discomfort or not to say sometimes working out is uncomfortable. I mean, that's a good thing. Discomfort is a good thing for growth. But this is like beyond that. This is when you're pushing it beyond what it should be pushed. And sometimes that can be a gray area. But think about anybody, male or female, or both, non-binary, if you have ever skipped a meal for aesthetic reasons, if you have ever worked out when sick, if you have ever worked out harder than you should have, if you have ever... Ooh, especially ladies and male, males, I should say, but especially ladies, if you've ever worn really uncomfortable heels or worn an uncomfortable outfit because of the fit, because it looks good, because of the aesthetic. Think about that. That's you overriding your body. That's you not trusting your body. Think about you overriding your gut instinct about something you've got instinct about someone. Think about that. So is it easier for you to trust what you've been taught culturally about your body, how you should view your body, how you should respond to your body? Is it easier for you than to trust your body, what your body is telling you? And culture, man, it doesn't have our back. It's been doing us dirty. It's been feeding us the wrong messages. So two of those wrong messages are that self-criticism is good for you. And second, that how you look, like your 
body weight and your body composition is bad for you, especially if it's like a high body composition or BMI, body mass index. And a lot of this, I'm inspired by this book that I read by Emily Nagasaki, Come As You Are. So I, I encourage you to read that. And she delves into this pretty deeply. And I love it just dovetailed so perfectly with why, what direction I wanted to take this podcast episode. So it was like a perfect, perfect marriage. And she talks about how it just because we stop criticizing ourselves doesn't mean that we're all of a sudden going to become stuck and complacent. And all of a sudden, we're not going to go anywhere or achieve anything. And we're just going to become blobs and slobs. That's not how it works. And that's, I know I subscribe so deeply to that, to that thought. I can't take my foot off the gas. I absolutely can't. That's what drove like my whole eating disorder and just my personality in general. I cannot take my foot off the gas just a teeny tiny centimeter because if I do, that's the end of it. I won't come back from that. That's what's driving me to succeed, to achieve, to perform, to grow. But ironically, the older I get and the more I experience, the more I see, actually, when I do take my foot off the gas and give myself a break and some flexibility and listen to myself and trust myself, that's when I grow the most. That's when I feel better. That's when I can do more and feel better while I'm doing more. Wow, what a radical concept. And think about that. Think about any area. I mean, for me, it's just my whole life in general. But maybe it's just one area for you. Maybe it's just fitness for you. Maybe it's just momming or dadding for you, you know, parenting where you can't. And some of this I know comes from privilege. Some people just are just trying to keep their head above the surface day to day. So I get that. But for the moments that you can fill your cup, do you? And you can only pour from a filled cup. You can't pour from an empty cup. And I know if you're listening to this and you're just running on E, that is the most annoying, obnoxious, irritating thing to hear, enraging thing to hear because you're like, freaking I am doing all that I can. I don't have the luxury. So if that's your case, I hear you. I love you. Stay in there. I hope you're giving yourself some grace because you're kicking butt. Just trying and still still engaging that's what that's what matters but if you can I mean it's so crucial that you do take care of yourself and look after yourself in whatever way that looks like that isn't just a bubble bath that's also loving leveling with yourself and doing this work that you're doing right now and listening and trying to learn and to grow and to be a better human and to fulfill yourself and to learn how to show up better and to heal yourself. That's that's the work. And it doesn't come through self-criticism. Self-criticism actually is toxic to that, antithetical to that. And so my proposed solution is that you practice replacing self-criticism with self-kindness. That might sound a little off at first. Like, mm, I like the thought, Whitney. Love it. I I see where you're going with this. I don't think that's quite it, but good thought. No, really, try it. Try it. Just even for a day, even for an hour. Try it. 
And so, again, if you're like me, intellectually, you'll love this idea. You'll be like, yeah, that's great. That's a good idea. I I can get on board with that. Sure. I get, you know, we should be kind to ourselves, give ourselves grace. You know, I post quotes about that. Sure, I'm with you, Whitney. But then actually when it comes down to actually applying that and knowing that, that's another thing, right? That's another thing to actually live that. And when you start to think concretely about it, that's when you're like, no, I need that self-criticism. That's my fuel. That's what I use. But what if you just stop beating yourself up? And that takes some time. That's not going to be immediate if, if you try to enact this. If you pass by a mirror, try on a pair of pants or whatever. I mean, that's a lot of conditioning to override. It's not just going to halt at once. And even just you're going about your day, you're writing an email, you're doing something, your job or whatever, something as a parent, and you immediately start to beat yourself up or to criticize yourself. Hopefully, it just, it, first it comes with awareness, just being aware of it. And even if you keep doing it, that's okay. The goal is to just stop as soon as you can. It doesn't need to be immediate. It won't be immediate. Take that pressure off of yourself. The goal is just eventually get there. Be aware when you do it. At least just start with awareness. Again, that's the first step. And then just see how much a part of your life it is. And that, again, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to fail and become complacent. No. Try it. Experiment with it. See how good you feel. For me, it motivates me all of a sudden. And I've now gotten to the point where I can tell myself, I'll recognize when I'm not showing up as my highest self. As an aunt, as an employee, as a sister, as a friend. And I'll just kindly... Gently but firmly, there's both. There's love, but there's firmness. I'm not letting myself off the hook, but I'm not castigating myself. So I'll just say, it's okay, Wit. Just do better. Do better next time. Do better tomorrow. And we always can start anew. Starting anew doesn't mean that that erases the past. I mean, if we've done somebody wrong, it's not like they're going to instantly forgive it because we've decided that we're starting anew. You know, like if they hold us accountable or still remember or still resent us or hold a grudge, we can't be like, oh, no, 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 I don't think you got the memo, but like I decided that we're just starting with a clean slate so you can't hold this against me. I mean, that's, no, that's not how it works. But for you, how you relate to yourself, that's what matters. And sometimes in some cases, you're going to have to just make more deposits, more deposits, more deposits until you break even, you know, until you can start to earn people's trust again. And maybe that it is what it is. And with some people, you, you may not ever earn their trust again. This is covering a lot of topics right now, but just no matter what you're starting anew from, just know you can. Sometimes it's a harder climb, but you absolutely can. And that's so encouraging. That's so heartening. That's so awesome. And you can do it with loving yourself through it. You don't have to beat yourself up the whole way through. How awesome is that? And when you stop beating yourself up, when you stop re-injuring yourself, because you're injuring yourself Literally, well, not always literally, but figuratively, sometimes literally, but figuratively, you're injuring yourself. You're injuring your psyche, your emotions, your heart. 
And that affects you. That affects how you live your life, how you show up. Personally, professionally, that affects it. It does, whether you are aware of that. It's in your subconscious and your conscious too, but it's there. And so when you stop beating yourself up, you can heal. You can heal from that. And sometimes this does mean literally healing from that, especially if you've been overriding your biological prompts. You know, if you're not feeding yourself, if you're not resting, if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not exercising, movement is important too. This isn't just for if you're over-exercising. This is if you're not moving your body at all. This is if you're not feeding yourself nutritious foods, if you're not nurturing yourself, if you're not giving yourself grace. I mean, this applies to all of that. And so just try that. And I would love to hear how that works out for you. And in this book that I talked about, Come As You Are, Dr. Nagasaki went on a date with this doctor and she talked to this doctor. And so I'm going to preface this by saying, I'm not saying that this is what it is because I personally, I've seen this in my own experience. I've experienced this personally in all the research because I've done some deep dives on this for years and years and years, decades, but I'm not a doctor, so this is not medical advice. But this tracks with everything that I've read and experienced personally. So this doctor was saying how, so this author had asked the doctor, is it true you can, it can be healthier to be 70 pounds over your medically defined ideal weight than to be five pounds under it? And the doctor responded, I don't know if I would use those precise numbers, but that's the right idea. For different reasons, being just slightly underweight carries greater risk, risk than being obese. Think about that. And stress, I think, was, is what is driving that. And I still remember going to the bodies exhibit, and I don't know if anybody has been to the bodies exhibit. Fascinating. So cool. Eye-opening. And I remember at the end of one of the displays, it talked about how stress was the number one risk factor above smoking, above obesity, above all the things you could be doing to your body. Stress was it. Stress would decide. Even those other things combined, stress was more damaging to your body. So again, like I said, obesity, it's more harmful to your body than obesity. And I've said this before. I know some people who would be considered obese who are really freaking healthy. I mean, look at Lizzo. I love, I think she's such a great example of this. Lizzo, if you have been to her concert, if you have seen her performer, she's even posted, I mean, I know that not everything that's on the internet is true. A lot of things are cultivated, but whatever. That notwithstanding, I know some people who could be considered obese that would kick your ass in the gym. Cardiovascular-wise, strength-wise, so how somebody looks isn't necessarily how reflective of how fit they are because I know some people who are just toned to the max and they can't do one push-up. They can't do one <sighs> walk up a flight of walking upstairs can be winning for everybody, but you get what I'm you get what I'm saying that how you look isn't necessarily reflective of your fitness and how fit you are and so we just got to get that out of our heads. And that's a whole other, I mean, there's so much that goes into how much fat you're holding on to. That could be a lymphatic issue, hormone issue, so much of that in the mix. So just, it's so easy to just judge somebody that, oh, 
they're overweight, again, I mean, that's subjective as far as, far as what that standard is. Because even the BMI isn't reflective of health. And they've said that. It's just a guideline. If you have a high BMI number, even I, I've had a high BMI number. Not like high, high, but I've had a higher one. Even when I was like at the height of like really taking care of myself and really healthy, really feeling good, really fit. And it's just, I mean, it is what it is. It's, it wasn't reflective of my health. It's just like a guideline. And so just, let's just give ourselves more grace. Let's allow ourselves to be open to how, to different body types and how different people can look and to not instantly judge, oh, they need to eat better. They need to stop snacking in secret or they need to move their body more. Focus on you. Focus on how you're moving your body. Are you moving it enough? Too much? Are you nourishing yourself with with foods that make you feel good? That help you function and help you perform? And help you show up in your life as you want to? Let's criticizing criticizing in general. Let's kind of minimize it if we can. That'd be great. Criticizing others, criticizing ourselves. Just think about how your lifestyle is. Are you taking care of yourself? Are you able to alleviate stress? Are you able to move your body? Are you able to eat what you need to eat? That's what matters. Can you be happy and healthy without being at your goal weight? If you do have a goal weight? What if you woke up tomorrow and had gained 10 pounds? Or 20 pounds, depending on how tall you are. If you're short like me, gaining five pounds looks like a big deal. How would you feel about your body? Think about that. What if you were really healthy, you woke up tomorrow, one size, two sizes bigger, you felt great, you felt better than ever, you had energy for days. Next week, still the same bigger size, still feeling great. So it wasn't just a one-off. It wasn't just like one of those weird days where you just feel on top of the world. And it just continued one, one month, two months, three months. And you just continued to feel better. You were bigger than you're used to and that you want to be, but you felt better than ever. How would you feel about that? What would you do about that? Would you fight that? Would you resist that and try to claw your way back to your ideal size? Especially you mamas who have had babies. What if you feel better than ever at this bigger weight, but you're just told that you need to get your pre-baby body back? Why? If you feel good, if you look good, if you go to the doctor, all your labs come back great. Why? I know you can get about the argument about fat around your organs and all of that. What if all of that wasn't an issue, like everything was showing up medically to be okay. How would you feel about that? And if you have people in your life who would criticize you for that, what will you do about that? Where can you set boundaries? That's so much easier said than done, I realize that. But it starts with how you relate to yourself and what you allow. And just think about that. Think about being compassionate with yourself self-compassion rather than self-criticism can we vote for that election day is on tuesday how about if we vote for compassion in general that's a great thing to vote for 
if only that were on the ballot, if only we could legislate that. I mean, I guess they could be argued that it's, you know, people are trying to, and that's a whole other political argument, different people perceiving what compassion looks like, but just self-compassion. What if you had compassion on yourself, hopefully compassion on others too, but when you have compassion for yourself, then that opens you up to proportionally have more compassion for others. And especially if you're a people pleaser or a codependent, just because you're people pleasing, that doesn't mean necessarily that you're having compassion. That's codependency. And that's important to differentiate between. But if you truly have compassion, compassion with boundaries, that allows you to be more compassionate. Brene Brown says it. She has the evidence to back it up because it, it curtails resentment if you're able to have compassion for others and for yourself with boundaries. That means that frees you up. That lets you hold on to the bandwidth you need to truly show compassion for others, to truly be there without feeling so spread thin, without feeling resentful, like you're not being seen or heard or appreciated. If you have those boundaries in place and having compassion on yourself helps you love yourself enough to know what you love and deserve that allows you to recognize what boundaries need to be drawn, what your personal boundaries are, and to stand by those boundaries. Do you see how that all fits together? But it starts with self-compassion because usually proportionally we're able to love others as much as we love ourselves, as much as we've opened that up within for ourselves. We need to create that space within us so we can love others more deeply so there's there's my talk there's what I have to say about that hopefully you found that valuable hopefully this you are going to walk away from this feeling like this was worth your time listening to thank you so much for listening to this thank you so much for being here thank you so much for caring enough to show up and to engage and to try to be a better person And I hope you're loving yourself through that. And I hope that this inspires you to do that. If you've already been doing that, awesome. I'm sure you're a shining example for other people. Ripple effect, baby. I mean, how we relate to ourselves affects how others relate to us. And it just creates a ripple effect. It really does. A shimmering, beautiful ripple effect of love and light and all those woo-woo hippie things. It's not even just that, though. It's true. It's physics it's energy it's true it's science look it up learn about it (laughs) but really i love you thank you